This week, we continue our story of Joseph. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 41, but we're kind of going to hop around a little bit because there's like 40-some verses. There's more than 40 verses in this pup, and it's just this a lot of reading, so we're not going to get all there. But last week, we saw Joseph in prison. He's frustrated. He knows that he hasn't done anything to deserve his current position. He hasn't done anything worthy of jail time, worthy of the shackles around his neck and his hands, and yet, here he is. And then... Two men close to Pharaoh are thrown into prison with him and they have these dreams and Joseph is given their interpretation from the Lord. One of the men is restored to his position as the cupbearer for the king and the other is impaled on a spike. Both dreams come true just as Joseph said they would and Joseph asks the cupbearer to remember him. To remember him when he is restored to Pharaoh's side, that Joseph might be taken out of his frustrating and miserable situation. But as we saw last week, the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. In fact, he forgot him. And that's where we pick up with our text this morning will be Genesis 41. Again, there's a lot of repetition in this text. There's, There's places where things happen twice. So uh, we're we're not going to read all of it. We're going to start with verses 1 through 16, and then we're going to skip and pick up with verses 25 to 40. There's still a lot of reading, so bear with me, Uh, but that's that's where we're going to be at this morning. We read the word of the Lord in Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 to 16, and then 25 to 40. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the sleek seven fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After the seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind, the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servant, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that same night, or the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. where he had been. When he had been shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Pharaoh, so then Pharaoh repeats his dream to Joseph, and we're going to pick up in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up after word are seven years, and, they, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east winds. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. The food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come, that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Thus ends our reading today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So our baseball season is winding down. We start playoffs this week. It's looking like Tuesday. So we've played a few games up to this point, and yet Friday night, a few minutes before our final regular season game, I could feel them fluttering around in my belly. The butterflies in my stomach had returned just as they did before every game we played. I turned to one of my assistant coaches in, and I told him that the butterflies were back. And he told me that Michael Jordan had butterflies every time he ever played. I don't know if that's true or not, but he said it, so I'm going with it. And if they were good enough for Jordan... And they were good enough for me. I don't know if Joseph had butterflies in his stomach when he got that call from Pharaoh, that Pharaoh wanted to talk to him. But I can't imagine how he couldn't have had them. This is what he was waiting for. This was his shot. He was going to be presented before Pharaoh. He was going to have his audience before the king. Man, it's game time. It's now. Joseph had time to think before he was presented to Pharaoh, right? Like it's not like they pulled up this dirty, raggedy man out of prison and presented him in his years of filth and stench before a man the Egyptians considered to be a god. They bathed him. They gave him fitting clothes and they shaved off his Hebrew beard so that he would look as presentable as possible in their eyes. And through all this pampering, the butterflies could only have been growing stronger, flapping their wings more violently. What would happen in the throne room? What would happen when it was over? Just, Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, and there in the throne room, Joseph's eyes catch the cupbearer, the man who had forgotten him, 
But there was no time to let his thoughts linger there. Here before him is Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the land, and he needs help from Joseph. For why else would he have gone through all this trouble to summon him, have him cleaned and shaved and, and given him these incredibly comfortable clothes? And then the king speaks. I had a dream. And no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. How does Joseph respond? This is his shot, right? Like this is literally his get out of jail free card. He has to let Pharaoh know how indispensable he is. He just has to take some credit and the shackles are gone for good. But that's not how Joseph responds. Instead of glorifying himself, he glorifies God, saying, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. A little surprised by the Hebrew slave's answer, Pharaoh tells Joseph, that, tells Joseph the dreams, the dreams that can be more accurately described as nightmares, something that doesn't necessarily translate well into the English, is when the words fat and sleek are used for the cows and full and good are used for the heads of grain. They don't just mean pleasant to the eye. And where's my spot? There we go. But they carry the connotation of rightness, a moral goodness. These cows and heads of grain represent something good something right. Conversely, when we read of the scrawny, ugly, and lean cows and the withered, thin, and scorched heads of grain, those words carry the connotation of evil, of bad intentions, of darkness. And so Pharaoh has dreamt of evil destroying good. And what a dream. His goodness is torn apart and devoured brutally, graphically, in his mind's eye. No wonder he woke. And the Lord gives Joseph the interpretation of the dreams. Joseph knows what the dreams mean, and he knows that it's not a very good thing. So what does he do? What does he do? He's not guaranteed anything at this point. If he gives the bad news to Pharaoh, there is a good chance that his get-out-of-jail-free card expires, and he's back in chains. Does he come clean? Does he tell Pharaoh the truth? Maybe he should tell Pharaoh some of the truth so that he gets the main idea but it's bent a little in Joseph's favor, right? Or, or maybe he should downplay the evil and, and talk up the good. Maybe if he colors outside the lines just a little bit, not enough so that you can't tell what the picture is anymore, but just enough to distort it a little so that he can come out looking good, maybe that's how he should proceed. Maybe that's how he makes sure that he stays out of prison, the prison that he didn't belong in in the first place. Anybody been there? Anybody been in a position where if you tell the whole truth, the accurate truth, that, that things will quite possibly go bad for you? And, and so you are tempted to tell part of the truth, or most of the truth, or tell the truth in a way that reflects a little better on you? Who hasn't been there, right? Joseph does not give in to this temptation. He doesn't even leverage the situation like his dad or other families, other family members would have. I mean, look at his family history. His dad stole his brother's birthright and his grandfather's blessing. Joseph has a stepmom because his uncle leveraged poor lighting and a whole lot of wine against Jacob's father, or against Joseph's father, Jacob, getting him to marry the wrong sister. I mean, deception and levering situations is in Joseph's blood, and yet how does he respond? 
He doesn't take credit. He doesn't leverage anything. Joseph tells the bare, honest, the hard truth. He tells Pharaoh that there will be seven years of plenty, seven years of bumper crops and fantastic harvests. And then that those seven years of plenty will be followed by seven years of famine, seven years of a famine so severe that they will destroy the memory of the years of plenty, that all of the good of those years will be erased by how hard and difficult the years of famine will be. This is not good news. There is no guarantee as to how Pharaoh was going to respond to this interpretation or how it was going to reflect on Joseph, for interpreters were often held responsible for their interpretations. Killing the messenger was a common practice. And yet Joseph did not stop there. As the room was adjusting to the shock of his hard news, Joseph continues and he lays out a plan for how to deal with the good days and more importantly, how to deal with the dark days ahead. Delegate, says Joseph. Find a trustworthy man and give him authority to oversee the food distribution. Find other overseers and put them in positions of authority. But they answer to your main man. When you are experiencing bumper crops, keep a portion of those crops in storage for when life gets super hard and the famine is wrecking the nation. This way, there will be food for the rest of the people, and Egypt will survive. Joseph doesn't know if Pharaoh will take his advice, and he doesn't put his name forward to be this overseer, the steward. He doesn't press his advantage at all, but instead rests in what he told Pharaoh in the beginning, that it wasn't up to him, but up to God. And though Joseph does not press his case, Pharaoh recognizes the wisdom of the young foreigner standing before him and promotes him to be his right-hand man, giving him authority over all of Egypt, answering only to Pharaoh himself. Joseph's big break has come. God has maneuvered him to this point in time. God has been growing him, has been shaping him, molding him through the fights with his brothers, through the time in slavery, through the time in prison, through blessing him but letting him fall from grace. Joseph has been through the ringer and God has been drawing him closer to himself while also preparing Joseph for the road ahead. And man, we want to be Joseph, don't we? We want to see God's plan come to fruition to fruition. At this point in his life, this is where we want to be Joseph. The, the whole plan is coming together. Joseph is standing on a hill and he's looking back on his life and recognizing how God has led him, how God has been working on his behalf the whole time, how God has never left him. We want to be this Joseph. And what's more, God wants us to be this Joseph. God wants us to be resting in his plan for us, resting in his shaping of us, trusting him through the hard things, following him during the disappointment and the pain. God wants us to be continually following him, resting in him, and giving him the glory. So why, when I am supposed to be Joseph, and I know, what I'm and I know that I'm supposed to be Joseph, do I so often find myself in the shoes of Pharaoh? Pharaoh is the one who is given the bad dreams. And what does he do right away? He exhausts the resources of the world. He sought out all of the answers that the world provided and he found nothing. He, he came up empty. When we face trials, when we face hardships, when we face temptations, it is so natural for us to try to take care of it ourselves, to try to be strong. How many times have I been faced with a temptation, a temptation that I have faced in the past, a temptation that I have failed in the face of in the past? And been like, you know, this time I got it. This time, this time I'm good. I got it. 
And instead of running, instead of praying, instead of calling on a brother or sister for support, I stand there in my pride and in my ignorance. I decide that I have the ability to beat temptation this time. And when I fail, I'm shamed and I'm disappointed in myself. Or maybe I go to one of the many self-help books that are out there. I try to change my habits. I, I try to live better, eat better, work better, love better. And maybe it works for a little while. But eventually I realize that I am not able to beat this thing on my own. The answers of the world are not going to cure what ails me. And so eventually, finally, I turn to God. But like Pharaoh, I don't even fully give over control. I put God second. I'm still number one in my heart. I'm still in control. I let God do his thing. I let God fix the situation that I'm in or help me through it or strengthen me through it, but I still want to have the control that I crave. Can anyone else relate to that? Have any of you been like Pharaoh, like me, and not turn to the help of the creator of the universe, not turn to the help of God Almighty as, as soon as we run into rough water and instead try to plumb the depths of the world's knowledge before we finally turn to the only one who can truly help. And then when he helps, when he saves us, when he lays out his plan, we say, great, but you're still number two. I'm still running this show that I call my life. Can anyone else relate to that? How are you doing with that? Listen, God wants us to be Joseph, and sometimes we are. Sometimes we listen like we should. Sometimes we follow him like he wants us to. Sometimes we rest in him like we're supposed to. But sometimes we are Pharaoh. You know what? God saved Pharaoh too. Through Joseph, God saved Pharaoh. And through Jesus, God has saved us. Where we fail to listen to what God wants of us, where we do not trust in him like he would like us to, Jesus never failed. He always trusted. He was perfect. He followed God in every way possible. He followed God's plan for his life to death. For Jesus Christ took all of the failings that we have. He took all of the temptations that we have not resisted, and he resisted them perfectly. And he took all of our sins upon himself. And on the cross, he died for them. He did what we could not. He followed the direction, the will of the Father in ways that we never could. And when we believe in him, when we trust in the work of Jesus on our behalf, when we rest in the faith that we are given, we are saved. When we rest in the faith, we are covered in Christ. And the dirty rags of our sin, the dirty rags of our failures are taken by Christ. And in this great exchange, we are given clean, pure, righteous clothing, the cloak of Christ. We are clothed in Jesus Christ. We, like Pharaoh, are given what we have not earned and what we do not deserve. And man, what a comfort that truth is for us. Not that we are striving to be Pharaoh. For though God provides for Pharaoh, the one that we want to be in this situation is Joseph. And as we push towards that goal, there is a line in this text that Joseph says, a line that just hit me so hard this week as I was doing my sermon prep. Joseph is standing before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, you're the one who interprets dreams. And how does Joseph reply? I cannot do it. 
but God. I cannot do it, but God. We hear the Apostle Paul echoes these same sentiments as Dolores read for us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he says that it is God who gives the growth. God is the one that makes things happen. He is the one who enables. He is the one who empowers. I can't resist, we cry out. I can't be strong enough. I can't be good enough. I can't do all the things that I'm supposed to do, all the things that I want to do. And we can't. We can't be perfect. We have a sinful nature, a sinful root, a sinfulness that we are born with that has caused us to fall short. And so we can't perfectly do what God has called us to do. We can't perfectly be the children that God desires us to be. But God has made a way. But God has still loved us. But God has sent Jesus. But God has given us faith. But God has forgiven us. But God has never abandoned us. But God continues to call us deeper and deeper into relationship with him. We can't do it. But God can. And God has. When the butterflies are fluttering around in your stomach, when you don't feel capable, when you are nervous, when failure seems inevitable, when temptations rise, when the darkness seems so near, when your works are a disaster and your thoughts are a wreck, when the sin inside you has brought you shame and misery, when you are grieving and the realization that you just can't do it has settled in, remember these words of Joseph. You can't do it, but God can. Let us strive to be Joseph. But during times of weakness, during times of struggle, when we fall short, when we fail to act the way that we want to, the way that God wants us to, let us remember that God in his providence has provided for us. Let us remember Jesus. Let us remember the cross. Let us remember a God who loves us and a God who has mercy on us. The God who has poured his grace out over us. The God who has forgiven us and brought us into his family. What a fantastic, wonderful, loving, and gracious God we serve. Amen.